That's good. Well, welcome everybody. Good seeing everybody here. And uh, thank you, Jana, again for that uh, video and the team, Darren Williams and the others that uh, put that video together. Let's thank them once more. And uh, her last words are really true. Till we're all free, really none of us are truly free. And so I wanted to thank her and mention that. But welcome to everybody in this room here today, everybody joining us out in the atrium and online from all over the place. And uh, they said that I was the founding pastor, John Smith, uh, and it's true. I was the founding pastor. I was here like 100 years ago. I, I worked at this church. You know, in fact, uh, a number of years ago, I said to somebody, I said, I had been here from the beginning. And he said, oh, wow, John, you're old. You've been here since the beginning, before anybody was here, you existed. And we got a good laugh out of it. And I said, well, uh, I've not been here since the beginning. I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I do remember when the Dead Sea was sick. But I, I love our church. I'm still part of the church, if you see me here. And it's an honor to bring a message again up here. I hope you love Crossroads. If you're checking it out, uh, Welcome, welcome. And there was a stand-up comedian. He came up with a list of reasons he loved his church. And I took some of his and uh, I added some of mine. I came up with the top 10 reasons I love Crossroads and you ought to love it too. Okay, so here we go. Number 10, no snake handling. Never have. Since day one, no matter what the rumors are, never have been. Number nine, you can believe in dinosaurs. Number eight, free babysitting. Number seven, you don't have to check your mind at the door. Thank you, uh, Ryan Howell, for that. Right, that's right, give him a hand. And number six, you don't have to sit in something called a pew. Number five, Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's better than the IRS and the FBI. <laughs> number, number four, free wine at communion. Oh, we don't, we do grape juice? Oh, forget that one. We don't do wine. <laughs> number three, free food at special services. You know, like if you were here on Mother's Day, Father's Day last week, if you were here, we had root beer floats, little hors d'oeuvres, I mean, there were little pieces of bread, pesto, shrimp. It was like being on a cruise ship. Number two, you don't have to know how to swim to get baptized. And the number one reason you ought to love Crossroads, no matter what you believe, there's at least one person here that thinks the same way. Don't thank me. A lot of that was a comedian by the name of Robin Williams. His church was an Episcopal church in San Francisco, and he loved it, and I love Robin Williams. I miss his stuff, I'm sure you do. Well, let's jump in, first week of this summer experience called Campfire Stories, and uh, I was excited to do uh, uh, one. Ryan asked me to kick it off. It's eight weeks long. I hope you sign up for all of them. And if you're gone out of town, tune, on, tune in online, Listen to them, catch up with them each week. But this one, the story I'm going to read, 
is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 18 through 22. It's only five verses, New Testament, Jesus' words. Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And Jesus, let me, let me give you a warning. He says some words here that are very hard. I mean, they're very surprising what he says here. Shocking, in a way. A little background. The story is two guys come to Jesus. They both say, I want to follow you. And Jesus responds to them. After they say, I want to follow you, his response is about the last thing I would expect him to say. Let's look at it. It's up on the screen. Matthew 8, beginning at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Teacher of the law is a Jewish leader, right? A Jewish leader comes to Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. I don't imagine that was easy for him to do. If his colleagues found out about that, Jewish leaders, uh, they would have been shocked. They wouldn't have been too happy. And this guy seems real. He seems honest. He's sincere. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus doesn't high-five him. No, Jesus doesn't say, welcome to the family. No, he gives him a warning. He warns him. He warns him what may lie ahead if he really were to follow Jesus with wherever Jesus goes. He goes on in verse 20. Jesus replies to this Jewish leader. Foxes have dens, birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I've got no home, Jesus says. I've got no home. You want to follow me? You might end up homeless too. You might end up with home. You might end up homeless too. Animals even have homes. My followers and me, just so you know, we don't always have a place to crash at night. The other guy comes to him, the other disciple, he says this. This is in verse 21 and 22. He said, and it's insinuated, he's saying, I want to follow you. And he says, Lord, let me go bury my father first. What does Jesus say to him? Follow me, let the dead bury the dead. Following Jesus just might be an invitation to deprivation. It might be. It might be an invitation to homelessness. We don't know. Following Jesus, what he's saying here, it's more important than our personal comfort. Following Jesus. It takes priority over everything. Over our greatest loves, our greatest allegiances, takes priority following Jesus. Even over that which is most dear to us. Every time. You know, a couple of years back, a uh, number of years back, I did a message here called Risky faith, and some of you, if you've been here uh, uh, like a hundred years, like me, you might remember. But I ask everybody to take out a piece of paper and a, a pen or a pencil, and I said, write down the year you were born. And I ask everybody to do that. If you don't have your message notes out already, why don't you take them out? You could write it right near the top, the year you were born, okay? Write the year you were born, then a dash, and then write two zero blank blank, okay? The year you were born, I'll do mine up here. The year you were born, then a dash, then two zero 
blank, blank. And you could cover it if you want, if you don't want anybody to see that year you were born. I'm doing mine right up here in front of everybody, okay? Just seeing if you're watching. <laughs> then two zero, blank, blank. All of us got this one, the year we were born. But we don't, we don't have this one filled in because we don't know when that'll be. But all of us have these two dates, the day you entered this world. We celebrate that day. We mark that day. I mean, it could be somebody's birthday in here today or somebody watching online. We celebrate with you. And we're all going to have this date here. We don't know when it is. We don't even want to talk about that one. We don't want to talk about it at all. But all of us have these two dates. And this date here, you didn't have any control over. No, nobody said, hey, you ready to enter this world? No, it was ready or not, here you come. And we don't have a lot of control over this one. But between this day we were born and this day we leave this earth, there's the little dash right there. There's that little dash in between them. We don't have a lot of control over this one. We don't have a lot of control. We have no control over this date. We don't have much control over this one. But between our first day and our last, the little dash right there, how we live that out, that's mostly up to us. We decide how we're going to spend that dash. Between our first day and our last day, between your first day and your last day, how you live your life is mainly up to you. Mainly up to me. Whether your life and mine is a blessing on this earth or a curse, that's up to us. That's up to us. But we have to cram all of our, all of our living. We've got to cram all of our living, all of our loving, all our stretching, all our growing, all our efforts. We've got to cram all our friendships into that little dash. And so the question is, you know, the question is, how are you going to live your day? How are you going to live out your dash? What's your dash going to be like? That's the issue. What are you going to do with your dash? We only get one. Nobody gets two. We only get one. What are you going to do with your dash? And it all goes by so fast, let me tell you. As we're thinking about that, let me give you some wisdom on this from Scripture. Some wisdom, number one, if you take notes or you want to do that, you can write this down. We all have a calling in life having to do with how we spend our life. Everybody has a calling, all of us. Look at what Galatians 1.6 says. Paul says, God by grace through Christ has called you to become God's people. And what does it mean? What does it mean God has called you? What does that mean? The Greek word translated called was kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. It almost sounds like the English word call or called, kaleo. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And almost always it refers to our assignment, our purpose, our meaning in life, the reason God created us. And the Bible's full of stories of God calling people. You know, God calling Noah, God calling Abraham, Abraham responds, God calls 
Moses for a purpose in his life. Moses' response. God calls Nehemiah to be a builder. Esther to lead a country. Isaiah, Jeremiah are all called. God calling David. God calling Lydia. Start the first church in the New Testament. God calling Peter, Paul, and Mary. You know, if, if you laugh at that, you're old. If you, you're old. Young people are going, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But everybody's got a calling. Some people think only certain categories of people have a calling. You know, like uh, you know, a pastor like Ryan or Wendy or Dennis Anderson. You know, a professional minister. They think those people have callings. You know, or maybe a missionary like Mother Teresa, some doctor in Ethiopia. But people don't think of a calling for all of us. If you think that way, you couldn't be more wrong. Every person, my opinion, my, every person has a God-given calling. Everybody has a calling. There's no one called human beings, no one. I read about a guy, he, he uh, works in a mortuary. He owns the mortuary, actually. A funeral home. He's a mortician. He said, I love my job. He said, I get to help people in the most difficult times of their life. I thought, what a perspective. What a calling. Then he added, I also love it because it's so quiet. I thought, yeah, it's like dead quiet. Mm. But there's no one called human beings. I don't care. You know, I don't care what the circumstances of your life are. I don't care where you've been in your life, what's happened in the past. I don't care the circumstances of your birth. You, like every other human being on the planet, are created in the image of God, like everyone else. Like we've said, you'll never lock eyes with a person that is not created in the image of God. And you, like all of them, you have worth, value, dignity, you're not an accident. You have purpose. You have design. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. This day forward is what counts. And God has called you to make a difference. You're as valuable to the human community as every other human being on the planet. Every single one. Look at what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.5 in the Old Testament. And I think this can apply to all of us. It's said to Jeremiah, but I think it's all of us. God says, before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. I think that's why, why you have gifts and talents and abilities that are unique to you. God's given you that. God's given me that to make a difference in this world. In fact, I think Jesus would say, I think Jesus would say, you put me first in your life? You follow me really with your life? I'll write an adventure story with your life starring you directed by me. Your life will have drama, meaning, significance. It'll have comedy and laughter, tears, and it will directly or indirectly impact more people on this planet than you could imagine. And it'll play out in a climactic scene in heaven forever. But before then, God says, I won't waste your life. I'll use you. I'll use you to be the answer to someone's prayer or shape the future of a child or use you to encourage a wayward person or bring hope to somebody that's drowning in despair or 
I'll use you to ease someone's loneliness, soothe someone's pain, feed somebody that's hungry, uh, set people free from oppression and injustice and deepen someone's faith, cheer someone's on. And in the process of giving yourself away using those talents of yours, God says, I'll fill you back up to overflowing. It'll be the adventure of a lifetime. And here's the second thing from Scripture. And it's related to that one. Your calling is connected always to other people. It's not just to please ourselves. It's about other people. I mean, look at this remarkable verse, Ephesians 2.10. Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're taking notes, circle the word workmanship. Circle good works. I mean, could it be any clearer? This is why we were created. This is why we're called. We're called for good works. Something more than making money. Putting a business deal together. Unless we use that money to make a positive impact in people's lives. Our lives are about more than just getting a dream house or going on some big vacation. We're created for this purpose, to make an impact. And when we do, we fulfill our purpose. I love Psalm 73, verse 1. It says, God is good. God is good. And one of God's great delights, I think, from the beginning is pouring dump trucks full of goodness, loads of goodness on this world. I mean, think back to creation. Go back 4.5 billion years ago. I was not there. Joe Biden was not there. 4.5 billion years ago, give or take 500 million. God, God could have created a, a non-blessed, black and white little world to live in. God didn't do that. God wanted to be good. God designed creation to evolve into a magnificent planet of oceans and mountains and Beaches and deserts and hills and streams and valleys. And God said, I'm so good. I want human beings to live in that kind of good world. And God created humans then. And gave us magnificent bodies and awesome intellects and sensitive hearts and complex souls. And in Genesis, God calls every person good. And God said, I'm not done. I want to express goodness on through history. This is how good God is. In Ephesians 2.10, that verse, it says, nowadays God continues to want to be good in this world. And grab a hold of this. God's got a plan to be good to this world today. In this day. God says, I'm going to do it through you. Through me. We're his masterpiece. God's masterpiece. We're God's workmanship. Literally, we are God's artwork through which God can bless this world. Nowadays, when God wants to touch someone's life and bless someone's life, God does it through people. Through people like you and me, through a church like this church. It's in our calling as the body of Christ. It's our mandate, spiritual DNA. That's why Mother Teresa said, over and over, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. The good Jesus wants to do in this world he does it through the likes of us. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Comfort those who are frightened. The implied word is you. Comfort those who are frightened. Take tender care of those who are weak. Romans 12.13. When God's children are in need, you be the one to help them out. Notice God doesn't say analyze them. No, God doesn't say judge them. God doesn't say evaluate why they're hurting. No, God says you be the one to help them out. You be the one to make a difference. Oral Lee Brown took those words seriously. and She was walking down the streets of Oakland one time, and I think it was 1992, and she saw a little girl there, and the little girl asked her for a quarter. She only had a credit card, so she said, well, let's go into this little corner store. I'll buy you some candy. But she was shocked when they went in the store. The girl did not want candy. She wanted bread and bologna. And then they went outside, and Brown said to her, said to the little girl, said, don't you go to school? Why aren't you in school? The girl said, sometimes I go. And she walked away. And Oral E. Brown said she never uh, shook the experience. She knew kids in the area were in trouble, but she felt God challenging her, challenging her to make a difference. Like, like she said, she felt like it was up to her to help. And she said yes to following Jesus. And she made a plan to change the world, one life at a time, one child at a time. She went to a first grade classroom, 23 students. She made a promise. She said, you stay in school, I'll see you through college. And it took a while for the kids to catch on. One guy said, I remember a lady coming in our room saying she wanted to be involved in our life. I didn't know what she was talking about. His name was Jeffrey Tony, the kid that said that. And it wasn't easy. Test scores in that school, they were among the lowest in, in Oakland. And she, most of the students lived in poverty. Crime was their only career option as they would get older. Many would end up incarcerated if nothing changed. Brown held weekly meetings with the students. She arranged tutors, books, field trips to keep them inspired. And the dream wasn't easy. Brown was a widow, two grown daughters, but she set aside $10,000 a year in a trust fund out of her $45,000 a year salary. She said, some days I ate beans, but from that first grade classroom, first grade classroom, she attended eight different high school graduations. And in the fall of 2005, she sent 19 of the 23 off to college. Off to college. And that Jeffrey Tony ended up at Columbia University, majoring in business. He said, I want to start a business and I want to help kids like Mrs. Brown. I mean, the gospel, the gospel is not just that when we die, we go to heaven. I mean, some people actually grew up believing the sole purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was so that when we die, we can go to heaven. The gospel is bigger than that. It's much broader. It's much more exciting. It's much more inclusive, more exciting than just the salvation of the individual. The gospel is that Jesus is here. Right now, he creates us in his image. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to 
commit our lives to Him, to be transformed by God. So we become alive as we were meant to be alive. And we say yes to God. We become sensitive to other people. So we don't close our eyes. and We see what Jesus sees and we hear what Jesus hears. And we cry at the things that make Jesus cry. And we look for a way. We stay awake at night trying to figure out how to love and serve people. The gospel is that Jesus wants to make us into people that will change the world, who will make it right. Make it right. What a calling we have. What a challenge. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. This kind of life won't be easy. It will not. That's why Jesus said those words to those two guys in Matthew 8. It won't be easy. It'll be blessed, this kind of life, but it won't be easy. In fact, number one, you write this down, your calling will test the limits of your faith and endurance. Don't forget that. Your calling, mine, will test the limits of our faith and endurance. And I've come to understand that it's true what Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6.12. He said, for our struggle, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you get about your calling. You get about a calling that comes from God, and you say, God, in your strength, I'll do it. You know what will get unleashed against you? Evil forces in the heavenly realm. Those power structures that keep people in institutions that create oppression, they will attack. They'll try to oppose, to resist what God's calling you and enabling you to do with your life. I think of a seamstress, member of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama, devoted Christ follower. She believed God called her to teach a segregated world about injustice and love. Love. So one evening, one evening, 6 p.m., December 1st, 1955, after a long day at work for her, when a bus driver told her she's got to get out of her seat in the bus, move to the back because she's African-American, because a white businessman needs that seat, she made what I think was the most courageous decision of the 20th century when she didn't move. And she started a revolution. And the next Monday night, 10 to 15,000 people showed up at her church. And they gathered together and they prayed. They asked God, what do we do next? But there was a high cost because of that decision. A high cost. It started a revolution. And it was not easy as we know. Many were beaten. Many were imprisoned. Many were killed but it changed the conscience of a nation. And it's not done by a long shot. It is not done by a long shot. But it was all because of mild-mannered, soft-spoken, Jesus-following seamstress by the name of Rosa Parks said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever. And so here's a question. What do you know? What do you... What do you know? Uh, do you know much about uh, people in the Bible? Or I put it this way: Those of you who know much about the Bible, when does the Bible ever 
Say God interrupted somebody's life and he called them to do something easy. When, did, when in the Bible does it say God interrupted somebody's life, had a calling, and God said to him, it'll be an easy job? When does God ever interrupt somebody's life and say, I've got an assignment for you. You can do it pretty quickly. It will not be much demand to it. How often does that happen? Want to take a guess? Never. That's never happened. Never God, God never calls anybody to an easy job. Never. Hebrews 11 describes people who, who said yes to God. Listen. I don't have it written down, but listen to this. This is Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, beginning at verse 32. You can read it. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped by the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. Others were tortured. They refused to be released. Some faced jeers and floggings. These are real, actual people. While still others were chained, put in prison, they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Not in this life anyway. But after reading through that or hearing that, how high of a value would you say God places on making sure people that follow Him lead comfortable lives? Not much. Not much. I mean, this is real important because we live in a culture that teaches us, tells us, to pursue comfort at all costs. All costs. Sometimes people used to come to me They'd come to me and say, I followed God. I said yes to God. And he didn't make my life comfortable. God didn't give me all the things that I wanted to feel safe and secure and well off. And they kind of feel betrayed by God. God never promises that stuff. God never promised that stuff. I think Greg Lavoie, he put it right. He said this, and I think we have it up. Jesus promised those who follow him three things. They'll be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, and always in trouble. Absurdly happy, entirely fearless, always in trouble. That was pretty much the case. That was pretty much how it went. So in fact, I get nervous talking to Christ followers. Tell me, they got an assignment from God and Man, it went easy. It went easy. It just went well all the time. I wonder about that. I wonder about it. Because if it's really an assignment that threatens the kingdoms of darkness, the power structures that keep people down and oppress people today, I mean, if it's, a, you know, if it's an attack against those things, the kingdom of darkness will attack you. And you just expect it. You just have to expect this goes with the territory. 
and you don't buckle. You don't bail. You don't get weak need when your calling gets hard. You don't. That's when you hold on a little tighter. And you say, you know what? That's the way these things go. It gets hard. That's why Jesus called it a cross. He said, those people that follow me, they're going to have to carry one. And they get heavy and they get hard. But here's the good news. There is good news. And this one, you can write this down. Your calling will produce the greatest satisfaction and meaning in your life. Your calling will produce the greatest satisfaction and meaning in your life. I believe it. When God reveals your calling to you, you say yes, and God ignites something and excites you about using your gifts and talents and abilities to play a role in impacting this world? You say yes? You withstand the criticism and overcome the opposition? You persevere through hard times? There will come a day you'll see fruit from all your efforts. You'll see a life changed. You'll see something broken get fixed. You'll see something sick get well. and Something sad in this world get a little brighter and Someone or a whole group that's been excluded become included. And I'm not kidding. Some of you know this. The sense of satisfaction that falls on you, it's worth just about any price you had to pay. And so one, one last thought. One last thought. How clear are you about God's calling on your life right now? How clear are you about God's call on your life right now? If you're not clear, and you might not have thought about it in this way at all. This might be kind of new. I mean, this church here, this is a great place to figure out what your calling is. And there are so many things, from children to students to LGBTQ uh, uh, ministries and inclusion that you could be involved in. And working with Puerto Rico and outside the country. So many ways, so many things you can pour yourself into here. Keep coming here. Keep asking God to reveal your calling. Try some things. And I know many of you, or some of you at least, um, you've been around a long time. Or at least a Christ follower a long time. Maybe not here. I'm not asking you what your, how clear you were about your calling five, ten years ago. I'm talking about right now. The near future. But one day you entered this world. That was a good day. And one day you're going to leave this world. I don't know when that'll be. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe a long time from now. In light of eternity, it doesn't really matter. But between your first day and your last day, you only have one life to live. What are you going to do with your dash? God's looking for young people and old people, women and men who will follow him wherever he goes, who will commit their lives to him, who can't be bought, whose character is above money, who will look beyond the self-centered trends of our day and stand up for unpopular causes, and stand up alongside people that have been oppressed. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, who would be salt 
stopping the decay of poverty and crime and injustice, violence. We'll be light, exposing the darkness of injustice and attack racism, sexism, homophobia, gender inequality, the five unacceptables here. God's looking for people who become agents of change in this world. Agents of change. And if you and I don't become these agents of change, who will? Who will? That's our calling. That's our calling. That's your calling. Well, the band is going to lead us in a reprise of a song we sang earlier. We'll take that offering during this time and you put your Connect card in. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and I'm going to have our closing prayer and we'll have a blessing. 